you have your Bible today, turn to Acts chapter 4. That's where we're going to be hanging out during our Bible study time. And make sure you reach in your bulletin and grab your sermon notes so you can follow along. Our ushers are going to be coming down the aisle. If you need a Bible today, they've got one that you can use. They've actually got one that you can have. So just wave at them if you want to follow along in like a paper Bible on your lap and circle some things and underline some things. And again, if you don't have one or you don't know where yours is, um, just write your name in this one and keep it. We've given away more than 700 Bibles since our church began just like this. Because in Acts chapter 4, we've entered a season in the book of Acts, which we're studying all year long at our church. We've entered a season where things are different. People are different. The church is different. The impact is different. Something has happened to set this church on fire in Acts chapter 4, and things are different. Here's what we learned last week. According to the words of people who were watching the church, ordinary people who are connected to Jesus do extraordinary things. Jesus didn't say that. One of the disciples didn't say that. Um, A pastor didn't say that in his message. Someone who didn't even really believe like Christians believed looked at Christians in Acts chapter 4 and said, man, these are just ordinary people. But somehow when they hang out with Jesus, extraordinary things happen. Ordinary people who are connected to Jesus do extraordinary things. Ordinary people who are connected to Jesus have extraordinary things happen to them. We launched this week one of our greatest ministries that we've ever launched outside of a Sunday morning called our story blog attached to our website. And all week long, one time a day this week, we, we launched the story of a leader, uh, a small group leader, a ministry leader at our church to talk about what Jesus had done in their life. If you have not yet gone to our story blog on our website, it's read.takethejourney.cc and read the story of the seven people that we profiled this week. It's unbelievable the extraordinary things that God has done in the lives of some of the people in our church. And as we look at God doing incredible things in the lives of people, and we look at God doing incredible things through the life of his church, we ask this question today, what's the secret to that happening? Because you want that, I want that. We want God to do extraordinary things in our life. We want God to do extraordinary things in our church. So we have to ask the question, what's the secret to that happening? We find an answer today in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. And just to walk you up to to, to verse 23, remember in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John healed a man who'd been lame for more than 40 years. People were celebrating, people were freaking out, people were recognizing that God's hand was on the church. And in Acts chapter 4, the religious leaders of the day who had put Jesus to death were very uncomfortable with this. They put Peter and John in jail. They spent a night in jail. The next day they got out of jail and they basically brought them together and said, you can't talk about Jesus anymore. Can't heal people anymore. Can't do any supernatural stuff anymore. Um, You're making us look bad. Stop talking about Jesus. And Peter and John said, you have to ask yourself this question. Which is the right thing for us to do? To listen to you or to listen to God? We're going to choose to listen to God. We're going to keep talking about Jesus. So kind of deal with it. They were returning from that meeting in Acts 4.23. And here's where the narrative picks up. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. And they reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said to them when they heard this. They raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, quote, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. 
Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, here's their prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. Now listen, this is such an awesome section of Scripture when you really understand it. So I want to try to walk you through some things today so you can understand what God wants you to understand out of this section of Scripture. Just some quick background on verses 23 through 28. In verse 23, we see that Peter and John returned to their own people. We've been talking about this phrase, their people, since Acts chapter 1. This was their spiritual family. This was a group of people that had developed from a time period of somewhere between three years and probably three months, maybe as little as three weeks. We know in Acts chapter 1, there was a spiritual family gathered that said, hey, all of us have been together since the time Jesus got baptized. That was three years before that. We know now we're several weeks into the church. A lot of people are brand new to what Jesus is doing. So some of these people have been there for three months. And this spiritual family comes together to work through this spiritual problem. Very similar to where our church happens to be right now. Our church began just a little over three years ago. The spiritual family represented at Journey Church International is a group of people that have been hanging out from between three years to some of us three months. Maybe some of you have been here three times. Um, But we are a group of people trying to figure out how to connect to Jesus and move forward together. We see in verse 24 an incredible spiritual principle that when a big group faces a big obstacle, they pray. When this big group faced a big obstacle, they prayed. It was the first thing they they did. Before they discussed what they were going to do, what they should do, how this would impact him, when a big group faced a big obstacle, they prayed. And at the end of today's message, I'm going to ask you to pray with me for the big step we believe God has called our church to take in moving forward to get ready to build a church for a building for our church and for our community. I'm going to ask those of you who are physically capable, and those of you who are spiritually comfortable to actually get on your knees with me at the end of the service in front of your chair, and to just ask that God will help us. Because when big groups face big obstacles, they pray. Now, verse 24 shows us something else. Their prayer in verse 24 shows us that these people understood prayer, that they had heard effective prayers, that they had learned effective praying somewhere, and that they believe God answered prayer. And this was a big deal. It's one thing for a group of people just to pray. It's another thing for a group of people to pray, believing that God actually cares, that he listens, and that he's going to do something about it. I, one, of, one of my spiritual hobbies is studying biblical prayers. I have tried to find almost every place in the Bible where someone prays and it's written down. And I've tried to study what they said, um, what order they said it in, what they called God, what they asked for. What situation in life that they were in? It's kind of one of my spiritual hobbies that I've, 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 I haven't tried to memorize all the prayers of the Bible, but I want to be familiar with them because I want to learn how to pray better. And this is something that I believe God has spoken to me for our church about, that our church needs to know how to pray and that our church, for those of us who pray, need to know how to pray better because most Christians don't really feel comfortable praying. As a matter of fact, if I were to give most of you the option today between giving in the offering and praying on the stage in front of everyone else, you would quickly grab your wallet and say, don't, don't, like, don't give me a microphone. I don't want to pray. We're not comfortable praying over the table at dinner. 
Uh, we talk about praying with our spouses. A lot of people say, man, I'd love to pray with my wife. I'm uncomfortable doing that. We talk about parents praying with their kids. You say, I'm not really sure how to do that. Um, one of your biggest fears of maybe why you don't go to small group is you're afraid you'll be called on to pray. For most Christians, prayer is a scary thing. Even the disciples, more than a year and a half into following Jesus, watched him pray and didn't know how to. And they went to him one day and said, can you teach us how to do that? Like, we've been watching you pray. We don't know how to pray. We've heard prayers, but we don't, we don't know how to pray. So at the end of March, our, our small groups are going to move from the story curriculum, teaching people how to tell their story through the lens of what Jesus has done in their life, to moving towards six or seven weeks of teaching people how to pray. And as a church, we're going to pray together for 40 days. And some of you are not yet in a small group, but when we get back from spring break, you're going to need to plug into a small group so you can learn to pray because it's one of the things on your spiritual bucket list. You've You've always wanted to be more comfortable praying and know how to pray. We're going to teach you to do that as a church because prayer is a big deal. And when I read the prayer in Acts 4.24, I immediately stopped because I'd heard it before, which tells me that these people had heard, listened to, studied effective prayer. Here was the prayer that they prayed halfway through verse 24. They started praying and they said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They appealed to God as creator God of the earth. And immediately when I read this, I thought of Jeremiah 32, 17. Because this is the great prayer of Jeremiah that every Jewish young man and young lady would have known when they learned how to pray to the God of Israel. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 32, 17, Ah, sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. A Jewish young man and young woman was taught how to pray when they were facing an obstacle bigger than them. They were taught to remind themselves that God created everything and that nothing was impossible for God. Remember what the angel told Mary when Mary said, how's this thing going to be possible? He said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, nothing is impossible. There was this thought in Jewish culture that nothing was impossible for God. And when you would pray that nothing is impossible for God prayer, you would start with God as creator God. I'm sure they also knew the prayer uh, that God challenged Jeremiah to pray in Jeremiah 33, 3, when God told Jeremiah, call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and unsearchable things that you don't know. God told Jeremiah, when you're facing something bigger to you, call to me. Remember, I created everything and I can help you with this. Nothing will be impossible. So they did this and their prayer showed in verses 25 through 28. It showed that this spiritual family had incredible spiritual perspective. Now God has really elevated this verse out of this chapter for me as the pastor of our church and where we are right now. Because without spiritual perspective, it's very possible that most of the people in Acts chapter 4 would have said, well, shut, shut it down. They told us we can't have church anymore. Shut it down. They said we're not allowed to talk about Jesus anymore. Shut it down. But they didn't. Not only did they not shut it down, but their prayers showed they were expecting this to happen, and they just needed God to help them through it. Look at verses 25 through 28. Some incredible perspective here in how it's shaped. They said, God, you spoke. Now stop right there. Underline or circle those words you spoke. Because they're getting ready to quote scripture back to God. God knows what God said. But when you really want good spiritual perspective in life, you should know what God said about something. So they're showing they know what God has said about things. God, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. So they do this. They quote an Old Testament passage of scripture, and then they apply it to something that's just happened, 
And they said, we've got great perspective on this. We know what you said about this. We've watched it happen. And watch what happens here. They said, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And they began to quote Old Testament scripture. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? That word peoples means multiple nations. They're going to bring that back in. They're going to say, man, this Jewish leader, this Gentile leader, this Roman leader, these multiple nations plotted together. Why do the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up against the ruler and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his holy anointed one. So I said, that's what God said was going to happen in the Old Testament. Verse 27, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. They basically, if we could summarize what they said to God in this prayer, they basically said, God, you said stuff like this was going to happen. It didn't rattle them. It didn't scare them. They prayed, and in their prayer, they said, God, we know we're facing a big obstacle, but you said stuff like this was going to happen. Their perspective allowed them not to run at the first sign of trouble. My question for our church, because our church is in a similar season of pushing into something new. Some of you are doing things spiritually you've never done before. Some of you are making strides spiritually you've never made before. Some of you are leaning in spiritually further than you have ever leaned before. My question for you is, are you ready spiritually for the stuff that God says is going to happen next? Because God says some things about your spiritual journey. And God says, just like he said to the church, listen, when Jesus comes, they're going to do this. So you should know about it. And here's how you respond. God tells all of us as Christians that when we begin to move forward spiritually, there's going to be a response. That's why as a church, we have felt led this very reason that spiritual perspective allows for spiritual perseverance. We are leaning forward as a church after we leave this series, moving into a series called Border War. And we're going to talk about the realities of and the remedies for spiritual battles that anyone who's trying to move forward spiritually is going to face. Now, I asked him as they put together this logo, I said, listen, because we live you know, on the border of kind of Kansas and Missouri, and we've got some Kansas folks in our church and some Missouri folks in our church, and because those schools hate each other and the alma maters hate each other, and, you know, kind of the, the, you know, some of the people in the states hate each other, could you give me a little devil dressed up like a Jayhawk and a little Jesus dressed up like a tiger, and could that, could that be the series? And my creative arts team, so she just said, all the Kansas people will leave the church if you put, if you put, if you put the devil in a KU jersey, that's, that's not going to work. That's like rock chalk. I'm going to find another church. Um, so you don't, you don't want to do that. So he said, we'll use the colors, but we're not, we're not going to go there. We'll just let the people decide which is, which is good and which is bad. But there's this thought scripturally. God says that when you respond to anything in faith, literally for a church that's trying to move forward, churches that just sit back and, and are content where they are, they still face great spiritual struggle. But a church trying to move forward is like the Delta Force team that gets there first. Like a church trying to move forward has dropped behind enemy lines spiritually and they're going to take some fire. They're going to face some battles. They're going to face some wars. And we see very specifically where Satan targets a Christian who's trying to move forward spiritually. The Bible says it, but are you aware of it? Because as you pledge and as you pray... As you try to read your Bible this morning, this, this year, and as you, try to, as you try to give, like if you try to do anything more spiritually this year than you did last year, Satan is going to try to keep you from doing that. Do you know how to work through that? 
As a church, we're going to move into that season because we'd never ask you to take ground behind enemy line without teaching you how to protect yourself and how to have some spiritual weapons offensively to fend off the spiritual warfare because the spiritual perspective allowed this church to keep moving forward. And what did this spiritual perspective allow? It allowed this church to pray for boldness. Now, this church's prayer for boldness had two requests. There's actually only two sentences of a, a request in here. They prayed for two things. In verse 29, they said, Lord, give us boldness. And then in verse 30, they said, Lord, give them healing. And this is a cause and effect thing, actually. They said, Lord, if you will give us boldness, we believe our spiritual boldness will result in the spiritual healing and the miraculous power of Jesus in the lives of others. God, this is an us-them thing. And listen, as we, as we keep doing church and as we keep trying to have good church and as we keep trying to reach people through our church, we must always keep the fact that the building that God is calling us to build is for us and for them. It's for us to learn to strengthen our faith. It's for us to learn to walk more closely to Jesus better. But it's for people who don't know Jesus yet to experience spiritual healing and the miraculous power of God in their life. We must always keep this in front of us, that our faith is not just ours, but it's ours and it's for them. On September 28th, we met on our ground. We did our ground dedication to dedicate our ground before we started doing all the building plans. And we said our ground will serve as one of two things. It will either be a landing strip where our church after four years settles in and this is where we finally have church. It'll be where we land the ship or it'll be a launching pad. It'll be where ministries come, they get organized, they get settled, they get fueled up, and then they go out and they launch out into the community to touch more people. So we want our church to be a launching pad, not just a landing strip. And to do that, we have to pray for boldness. So in praying for boldness, we see three things. One, we see praying that God will give us boldness. That every Christian should be praying that God will give them boldness. This is what the church did in Acts chapter 4. This was a church praying that God would give them boldness. Look at verse 29. It says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Now, this is an interesting prayer request because when you study this request through the light of Scripture, praying for boldness is a prayer that changes your heart, not God's. Like praying for boldness is something you, not, you don't have to remind God for. You don't have to say, God, when I look at everything you've given me in life, God, it appears that you've given me everything but boldness. Now, God, will you give me boldness as well? Because when we look at Scripture, God has never given any Christian anything but a heart of boldness. So a prayer for boldness is a prayer that convinces you to have boldness, not a prayer that convinces God to give you anything different. Because in 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul told Timothy, the spirit that God gave us doesn't make us timid, but it gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So when we're praying for boldness, we're saying, God, help me live like you've created me to live. Because you've already created me to live with boldness. John said it this way in 1 John 4, 16 through 18. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God is in them. And there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. So a prayer for boldness is a prayer that changes our heart. Praying for boldness reminds us. 
that it's already in our DNA to have spiritual boldness. And we just have to figure out how to tap into that. As a matter of fact, the topic of being bold and not afraid is one of the most prevalent topics in all of Scripture from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to Revelation chapter 2. One of the first major hindrances of humanity's walking with God was, if you remember, God went looking for Adam and Eve in the garden, and they were hiding. And God said, Adam, why are you hiding? And he said, we hid because we were afraid. Fear was one of the first things that kept people from walking with God the way they were created to. It's why the Bible contains the phrase, fear not, 365 times. I've said this several times at our church, but until you've memorized it, it doesn't mean as much to you. It's as if God needs to remind us at least once a day to be bold. It's as if God needs to remind us at least one time every day, don't be afraid to do this spiritually. Don't be afraid to stand up for what you believe. Don't be afraid to go talk to that person. Don't be afraid to call that person and pray for him. Don't be afraid to live in faith once for every day. Except on a leap year. And I've said before, on the, on, if you catch that down on a leap year, you might be afraid. But I didn't, I'm just not sure when it is. But the rest of the years, one time per day, God says, fear not. However, even with all that being said, when we study scripture, being overwhelmed at a call of God, being a little afraid to step out in faith is actually a spiritually appropriate response. I heard a pastor one time say, if you don't, get a little weak in the knees when God calls you to do something, God probably didn't call you to do it. Because when you study in scripture, when God called someone to step out, it always made them nervous. That's what teaches us to rely on God. If we can do what God's called us to do without God, God probably didn't call us to do it. But when God calls us to do something that's a little uncomfortable, when God calls us to do something that's a little scary, that's probably when we know we're beginning to walk in faith. It's why the great Old Testament military commander Joshua was told to be strong and courageous, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, but seven different times. Seven different times God had to remind the commander of the military not to be afraid. Deuteronomy 31.6, 31.7, 31.23, Joshua 1.6, Seven different times God had to remind Joshua whose faith walk was scary not to be afraid. One other time, in addition to that, he had to tell Joshua, whose faith walk was scary and hard, not to be discouraged by it. And some of you are in here, and you're living in one of those spiritual emotions. You're afraid of what God's called you to do spiritually right now. And you're trying to figure out how to keep moving forward. Or you've moved forward, and you're discouraged at the result of it. It wasn't exactly what you thought it was, or your spouse hasn't followed, or your kid's haven't leaned in. So you're facing fear, you're facing discouragement. God comes alongside an overwhelmed Christian and he says, don't be afraid. And it's interesting, being overwhelmed, a little afraid, it's an appropriate response. However, remaining overwhelmed, remaining a little afraid, eventually establishes a spiritual lifestyle that doesn't trust God. And then all of a sudden, you, you don't need any faith to live. Because you're so afraid to trust God, you just rely on your own spiritual instincts instead of the move of God on your heart. So this church had two options. This church could have been paralyzed spiritually and stayed right where they were and stuck in fear. Or they could have lived in faith and prayed that God would give them boldness and they could have kept moving forward under the power of the Holy Spirit. And they chose to pray and to move forward. Now, before we moved into this season in church, in our church, one of the things that gives me great encouragement 
as I lead through this season is we are just wrapping up the third 40-day season of prayer for this project that we're working on. The first began on September 1st of last year. I committed that before I talked to anyone about anything to do with the building, that I would pray for 40 days and ask God to give me direction. And at the end of the 40 days, I went and I talked to our elders and our pastoral advisory team, and I talked to our finance team, and I talked to our staff. And at the end of that 40 days, I asked them to enter into 40 days of prayer before we told anyone in the church, because I said, I feel like if we don't pray, we're not gonna have the courage to do this. And our staff prayed for 40 days leading into January. And then on January 4th, I asked more than 125 volunteers to pray for 40 days while we talked to the church about what God was doing because we didn't believe without prayer that it was going to be possible. And probably most of those 125 didn't pray for 40 days, but some did. And now I'm getting ready to complete another 40-day journey. And as we wrap up this season in our church, we very intentionally planned that Sunday number seven, we've been talking about this for seven Sundays, would be the last time that we really talked about this. Because in scripture, seven was the number of perfection. Seven was the number of completion. And this is a season that's coming, we pray, to a perfect completion next week. We thought that not only would we go seven Sundays talking to people, but at the end of seven Sundays, we would ask our people, if you'd pull this out of your bulletin, to pray for seven days. And that after seven Sundays of talking about the big thing we feel that God has called us to do, that then we would end that seventh Sunday by asking all of our people to pray for seven days, perfection on perfection, completion on completion, just praying that the Spirit of God may help us in what he had called us to. So we're asking all of our church starting Monday to hang this on your refrigerator, put it in your car, put it on your bathroom mirror, and just for 15 seconds every day, just read one of these prayers. Pray for unity within our our leadership and volunteers and congregation as we move through this season. Pray for protection from spiritual warfare for our pastors and staff. We're going to talk about that starting in two weeks. Pray for your faith to grow during this season of giving and receiving that you might see God show up. Pray for somebody in your life who needs the ministry of our church and the touch of Jesus. Pray for exponential blessing in the Lee Summit community because of the future impact of our church. Pray for the new ministries that we're going to start once we have a building to better minister to our tenders in the community. And pray that our goals of having a million dollars pledged for the building and 350000 will be given by next Sunday when we wrap this up. See, we just trust God. And we believe that seven Sundays of leaning in, followed by seven days of prayer, and wrapping up three seasons of 40 days of prayer by leaders is all we can do, and we just have to leave the rest to God now. We have to pray for that boldness. Secondly, we see the Christians in the the church in Acts chapter 4 were praying that God would give others healing and do miracles in their lives. So this wasn't a church that was just focused on themselves. They, They were a church praying that God would give them boldness, but they were praying that the the ministry from that boldness would result in other people being healed And God doing miracle in their lives. Look at verse 30. Here's the second sentence of their prayer. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You know, I had a pastor tell me before we moved into this season when when I said, here's what I think God's called our church to, what I think God's called our church to do, but I, I just don't know if we can do it. And he said, Christian, if you can do it without God, God hasn't called you to it. But he said, I want to say this, most people, Christian, never see a miracle in their life because they never need one. They never walk at a level of faith where God has to step in. And he said, others, 
never see a miracle of God in their life because they're living in a level of faith. They need one, but they never ask God to step in and do one. And he said, if you look at the early church, not only did they live in faith that demanded miracles, they prayed that those miracles would come. So our student ministry, this Saturday, starting at 9 a.m., are signing up for 24 hours of prayer this weekend. So from Saturday at 9 a.m. until we start church Sunday, every hour for 24 hours, one of our students will be praying for Commitment Sunday and what God's going to do in our church as we wrap up this season. Why? Because we believe prayer works. And as you look at Acts chapter 4, the only way the believers in Acts 4 could have prayed this prayer in sincerity asking God for boldness for them and healing for others as if they were 100% focused on the mission that Jesus gave them. And what was the mission that Jesus gave them? The mission that Jesus gave them was, listen, I'm going to give you a gift that's given to you, but it's given for others. We see that the early church was focused on doing on what God was doing in them and what they were doing in the world. Let me say that again so you can catch that clearly. The early church focused on what God was doing in them and what they were doing in the world. It's almost the exact opposite of what it seems like so many Christians today focus on. It seems like so many Christians today are focused on what God is or isn't doing in other people and what the world is or is not doing for them. I mean, if we, if we hosted a small group for people to come and talk about how they perceive God was working in the life of their friends and family members, we're really good at coming and talking about what we perceive God to be doing in the lives of others. If, if we started a small group just, just for people who wanted to come and talk about what we saw God doing in our government, in our Congress, in the life of our president, we're really good at talking about what we see God doing or not doing in the life of someone else. And if we started a small group to just talk about all the ways that the people in the world and the world has let us down, that's a very easy discussion to have. Because we've kind of been trained to evaluate the lives of everyone else and how things and institutions and organizations are letting us down. But the early church was opposite. Their two focuses are, were, what is God doing in me and what am I doing in the world? What is God doing in me and what, is, what am I doing in the world? And this was a church that not only was focused that way, they prayed that way. God in me, I need boldness. And then I need you to do this in the world. And it was a church that changed lives. And here's the reality. The deeper God resides in your spirit, the further you'll be willing to go to help people know who Jesus is. The deeper Jesus sits in your heart, the further your eyes see into the needs of the lives of people who are around you. That's why I love our church and the focus and the spirit of our church. When we came together on September 28th at our ground dedication, we said this ground isn't just for us, it's for others. And we handed out flags that night, that Sunday night a few months ago. And we said, we want you to write the name of someone or maybe an addiction you're facing or a problem someone is facing or a family you know. We want you, as we think about this ground and building a building for our church, we want you to think about the people who need to be a part of it. And, and we want you to plant a flag on this ground saying, Lord, on this ground, this person needs to find Jesus. And we collected all those flags. And all of our pastors keep one in their office at our office complex to be reminded that what God is doing in us, he's doing for others. So we never just think it's all about us, but there are others who need healing and the miracles of God in their life. 
It's actually this spiritual principle is why we spent an entire year learning about Jesus before we took this step as a church. Because if people don't have Jesus sitting deep in their heart, their eyes will not ever see past themselves spiritually. But if people can really get to know Jesus, all of a sudden our focus will shift and we'll be able to see others who need Jesus and we'll begin to figure out how Jesus can use us to meet those needs. Why? Because we believe this, ordinary people who are connected to Jesus do extraordinary things. Ordinary people who are connected to Jesus do extraordinary things. And ultimately, Christians that are praying for boldness and Christians that are praying that God will heal other people are Christians who are changed. These eventually become prayers that change us and change us deeply and very specifically. Look at verse 31. We see the result of what happens through the prayers of this church. It says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. Last week we talked about the Apostle Peter and we said in Acts chapter 4, something was different about Peter in Acts 4 than it was in Mark 14, Luke 22, John 18, that last night of Jesus' life when Peter was such a coward that he denied Jesus three times to just random people. We said, what what changed? And we looked at Acts 4, 8 and we said, Peter in Acts 4 was filled with the Holy Spirit rather than being filled with fear. And when the Holy Spirit fills your life, you change. So what's different this week about the church? Because last week we saw something different about a person. This week we see something different about an entire church. Acts 4.31, this phrase is repeated for the very first time since Acts 4.8. Luke says, now they were all filled. So it went from one being filled to all being filled with the Holy Spirit. And how do we get filled with the Holy Spirit? We said this last week. Being filled with the Holy Spirit comes from your connection to Jesus, and it fills you with courage for Jesus. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you believe big things for your faith and for the people in your life. And I believe it's going to be impossible for us as a church. I believe it's going to be impossible for us as individuals to complete the task that God has given us without connecting to Jesus and the courage that comes from Jesus because God has given us a big task. We announced on January 11th that we have been working nearly a year now to design a building that we can build for our church. And on March 8th, we've got all kinds of color renditions and different angles of this building that'll be kind of all over the church. So you'll be able to See, see much more clearly what we believe God has called us to build as we have Celebration Sunday. But in order to do that, we needed God to move in a big way because this project we knew was going to cost our church at least $4 million. And actually that number, as we've got it estimated and really worked through now, is probably going to come back closer to $4.2 million. And we said in order to do that, we need to raise a million dollars above our regular giving, we need to raise a million dollars or we're not going to be at a place as a church to be able to build what we think God has called us to do. So we began working in October towards this. And on January 11th, we announced that before we even started this seven Sundays of focus, that God had already already allowed $812,000 to be pledged. So like these seven weeks have just been about the final push of $188,000. And I've had dozens of people begin to ask me now, How close are we? How close are we? How close are we? How close are we? And I've told them all the same thing. 
come back on March 8th and I'll tell you all at the same time. Because I don't know. We're not finished yet with the race. So I can't tell you what time we ran. Not done yet. I'll know on March 1. I'll tell you on March 8th. But we're asking people whose hearts feel moved to give to help us. Now, I say this in every message, so I want to say it again. There are some people whose hearts are not going to be moved to give. And we want you to know that's okay. Some of you are like brand new to our church. If you haven't been at our church more than a month, you probably shouldn't give yet. You should make sure like this is the church for you before you really lean in. Some of you are not at a place financially. It'd be irresponsible for you to give right now. So you're you're just not going to be at a place where you can give, even if you really, really, really desire to, unless God speaks directly to your heart to make a big sacrifice. Um, And some of you have been through building projects at other churches that have left you bruised and scarred, and you you just can't do, you can't do this and still really come to church and enjoy it. So this is not for you, but there are others. God has spoken directly in their heart, into their heart, and, and he said, help. So we're asking those people to do four things. We're asking them, first of all, to give a special gift in addition to their normal giving to help us build a building. Because all of our normal giving goes to run our church and do ministry the way that we do ministry. So we don't want to take ministry money just to build a building. It's just a building, but we believe having a building will help us do better ministry. It's incredible. I've had several people during the midst of this seven weeks come up to me and say, Christian, when you mentioned giving a gift above your your normal giving, I want you to know we actually stopped our normal giving. We quit tithing. We quit giving for one reason or another. So I want you to know God has spoken to us not only to give a gift for the building, but he's spoken to us to start tithing or to start giving again. Like God's really moving through this. So pray for us. Like that's cool. That wasn't even a part of this thing. But God is speaking to people. So we're asking people that God's speaking to to give a gift in addition to their building. We're asking people to give generously and sacrificially. We're asking people to pray about what they can give between now and August 1 of 2016 when we hopefully would move into our building. So you don't have to give it all in the next week. What over the course of a year, if you really worked hard, could you give? And then we're asking people to hand in this commitment card. Sometime between now and March 1, which on January 11th sounded like a long time ago and now sounds like next week, and it is. I guess I could say we're asking you to turn this in today or next Sunday, and then we're done. And just to make the mechanics of it very simply, I'm telling people, if you feel like God's called you to give $1,000, your total pledge is $1,000. If you can give $100 of that March 1, and then you need a year to give the other $900, that's kind of how this card works. And then you throw it in an envelope, and you put it in the offering. And on March 1, we're going to see where we are. And on March 8, we're going to celebrate. Why? Because I want to see God move in our community. Wouldn't it be awesome if God shook Kansas City? I don't even know what that means, but it sounds cool. Like, like I would like to ask him. It says the place where they were meeting was shaken. I don't know what that meant, but I want to experience, like I want to experience that. Wouldn't it be cool if God would shake Lee Summit? Wouldn't it be cool if God would move in such a way in Kansas City that everyone would feel it, even those who didn't participate of it, would feel the, the undercurrent of what God is doing in our city? Wouldn't that be awesome? That's what will happen when everyone leans in and they live in boldness. Now, on March 8, we're going to celebrate what God is doing. But today, I'm going to ask you to pray with me for what God needs to do in our church.